Uh, good morning, church. Uh, it's great to be with you, if not in person, then via a screen. And uh, to be honest, I haven't had to record a sermon like this in this uh, studio for quite a while. Uh, of course, for a period of time, this was the norm. Um, I'm really glad it's not anymore. Uh, but I'm also really grateful and really glad that this means that I can still speak to you, even though I'm thousands of miles away in Kathmandu. And uh, we didn't think the hotel Wi-Fi in Kathmandu would be quite up to doing a live link. Anyway, with that passage that you just heard read from John chapter 4, we're finishing the blessed series where we started it. And if, on the off chance, you can remember back to that first week, well done if you can, um, we looked at John 4 then as a model of how Jesus reaches out, of how he does this with this, this Samaritan woman at the well. We looked at it to see how did Jesus pursue the mission that he was on, which was to seek and save the lost. The mission that then he has passed on to us, his followers, which is why it's so important that we take this mission seriously. I mean, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My food, my, my sustenance is to do the work God has given me, to pursue the mission he's given me. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples uh, in the moment, but also to us as his followers today, he's saying this mission is not an optional extra for just a few people. It, it, it's not dessert. It is the meal. It's the meat and the drink for any follower of Jesus and so that's why over these last few weeks, we've once again been unpacking those five missional practices of bless. Begin with prayer, listen, eat together, serve and share. Share your story and share the gospel. And that's a bit of an extra emphasis that we've had this time. And it's been really great to have some input on that from Greg Downs as he came and spoke to us over a couple of weeks on, on sharing our story, sharing the gospel. And that was so encouraging, and I'm sure you'll agree, very, very challenging for us as well. But it's also been great to hear your stories of what God has done as, as you've been intentional about pursuing bless and getting intentional again about praying for people in your life and looking for opportunities to bless them and to share with them but also being open to those divine appointments where God might provide an opportunity for you to bless someone you don't know, a total stranger. And he's just asking you to be obedient and courageous. And, you know, I know many of us uh, will have grown in courage through taking part in one of our blessed adventures. I know I found that a real challenge, but I loved it. And I was surprised at what God did through it. And I've certainly grown in courage. You know, as Greg said a couple of weeks ago, going out on those kind of adventures, it's, it's like taking you out of your comfort zone and into the kingdom zone and praying and, and just seeing what the Father will do. And that's exciting. It, it really is. It's, it's really exciting. It's an adventure of faith. And I think it's meant to be an adventure. I think our, our journey with Christ, our walk with Christ, there's meant to be that element of adventure. You know, something else that Greg said when he was with us was that it's not that we've got to do evangelism, you know, as a duty and, and, and then feel terribly guilty that we don't do it enough or that we're not very good at it. It's not that we've got to do evangelism. It's that we get to do evangelism. It's a privilege. It really is a privilege partnering with the Holy Spirit. And it's all part of the adventure and the journey of following Jesus, which, of course, is a journey that goes way beyond the duration of a blessed series. And that's always been the intention with BLESS, even going back four years ago when we did this for the first time, that it would be something that goes beyond a series and just becomes a natural part of our lives. It just becomes what we do. 
And so today I just want to ask a couple of key questions that I think are crucial to how fully we pursue this mission, to how well we pursue BLESS on an ongoing basis. And the two questions are these. First of all, what do you see as success in evangelism? And then the second question is, what is your motivation for evangelism? What do you see as success in evangelism? And what is your motivation for evangelism, for pursuing BLESS or for not pursuing BLESS? And I think we can shed light on both of those questions through this story in John chapter 4. So first of all, what is success in evangelism? Well, let's just have a look at two extracts from John 4. So first of all, we're going to look at verses 28 to 30, which says this. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they made their way out of the town and and made their way towards him. So that's the first extract. Then the second extract is in verse 39, which says this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, in Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. So one ends in them making their way, coming out of town, making their way towards him. And the other one ends in people believing in him. Which of those two extracts are we naturally more drawn to when we think of success in evangelism? I would suggest it's probably the second one because we can see the results. There's a result. They believe. They've come to faith. It's like the deal has been sealed. They've crossed the line. There's a clear outcome here. Now, surely that is success. And of course, it is in one sense. That is success. But the problem is that I think the way we think about success is so often based on outcomes and results. And of course, outcomes and results are important, but they're not the only or necessarily even the best measure of success. So when our kids were in primary school and we would go to a parents evening, you know, of course, you want to hear about how they're getting on academically. You want to know how they're doing. That's not unimportant, but actually you're listening out for something else as well. And When we went home, we could say to our kids, look, your teacher says you're doing really well. So well done for that. You you know, you're getting good results. You're, you're, You're doing really well. But do you know what we're most proud of? What we're really proud of is that after hearing your teacher, we can see you're a great member of that class. Your teacher said you work really hard and that you're helpful, that you're you're polite, that you get on well with others, you're kind to others. We can hear that your teacher really enjoys having you in their class. Now, the results are important. Of course they are. But there's something that is actually more important. Because if the focus was purely on the results, well, that has the potential. um, And as a former teacher, I've seen this happen many times. That has the potential to be really crushing for the child and for the parents, if for whatever reason the results are not what was hoped for. Now, I think the same is true in evangelism. We hope for a particular result. Of course, we want to see people come to Christ. We want to see them cross the line. Of course we do. But if you base your sense of success on the response of the other person, which is a response that you have no control over whatsoever, if that's what we base our sense of success on, there'll be many times when you don't just get disappointed by that. Because it's very natural to feel disappointed when someone doesn't respond in the way you'd like. Of course, that's disappointing. But it won't just be disappointing. It will crush you. And that will lead to you just giving up because you'll feel like a failure. 
And here's the thing. The thing we've got to keep in our minds all the time with this is, you know, even when someone does respond and does come to faith, that's not your success anyway, because we can't save anybody. It's all to the glory of God, because only he can change someone's heart. We can't do that. And we see that clearly at the end of the story in verse 40, where it says they urged him, they urged Jesus to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard this for ourselves and we know this man really is the saviour of the world. It was coming into contact with Jesus that made the difference. It was coming into contact with him that saved them. That's what brought the result. Now, that's not to say, of course, that we should shy away from challenging someone to come to Christ when the opportunity arises. And we talked about that in week one. You know, we looked at how Jesus did that and we should follow his example. Greg spoke about leading someone over the line if the time is right. You know, sometimes we're a link in the chain. Sometimes we might get to lead someone over the line. Jesus himself said in John 4, one plants, one person plants and another person gathers. You might gather and reap from seeds that you haven't sown. And equally, you might sow seeds that somebody else is going to gather. But we don't shy away from the opportunity to lead someone to Christ if that opportunity arises. But don't measure success in evangelism by those outcomes. So what is success in evangelism? Well, it's what the woman did. It's what she did. Having had a revelation of who Jesus is for herself, what does this woman do? she leaves her water jar. So she she completely changes purpose. Suddenly she's got something to do, which is far more important than anything else. She goes to the people she knows and she just tells the truth of what has happened to her. Her Her own story, you know, what she says to them is very simple. It's very transparent. She's not trying to be clever or theological. She's not trying to explain, you know, substitutionary atonement or predestination or, or why does God allow suffering? It's simply, well, this is what happened to me. This is, this is my story. This is my lived experience. This is what he did. And then she points them to Jesus himself. Come see a man. Come and see this man. You know, she doesn't know everything about Jesus. There's lots she doesn't know about him, but she's clearly grasped something. She doesn't even know yet that he's going to die for her and rise from the dead, but she has grasped something of the fact that he is the Messiah. He is the way, the truth, the life. Come and meet this man. You've got to meet this man. And then because of her testimony, because of her telling her story, it tells us in verse 30 what they did, how people responded. It says they came out of the town and made their way towards him. So what is success in evangelism? Well, It is simply being a faithful and courageous witness, being a faithful and courageous witness. And it's seeing that as your food and your drink. It's pointing people to Jesus, knowing that their response is not your responsibility, but also being able to celebrate when someone moves closer to faith. But of course, part of being a faithful and courageous witness is that people have to be able to see Jesus in you not just in your words, but actually in you. It's being so full of Jesus yourself, so filled with the love of God for yourself that people ask you, what is it about you? You know, that evangelism comes out of that overflow that people ask you to give the reason for the very evident hope that you have, as it says in 1 Peter 3, living out your faith, living your story now 
So that like the disciples in Acts chapter 4 who are, who are being threatened and punished for talking about Jesus, you can say along with them, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I, I cannot help speaking about Jesus and what he's done. I, I can't not speak about Jesus. It's coming out of overflow. And when, when we see success in evangelism as that, as being a faithful and courageous witness, something that is in our control, then instead of being crushed and giving up if we don't get the response we want, actually we'll celebrate that the opportunity was there in the first place. We'll celebrate every opportunity we have to be a witness to Jesus, regardless of the response. And we'll be intentional about pursuing, going after those opportunities, and we'll continue to pursue the mission God has given us by continuing to bless people. That's success in evangelism. Be a faithful, courageous witness to Jesus. But that still leaves the question of why. Why? What's the motive? What is our motivation for all of this? Well, let's have a look at what motivated Jesus in the story. Uh, I I said this in, in, in week one that you know, the society that Jesus was operating in, it was a patriarchal society, which meant that a man shouldn't be speaking to a woman in public. You know, that would be a kind of a shameful thing. It would be beneath him. It was also a racist society in which the Jews viewed Samaritans as half-breeds. And it was a moralistic society in which a rabbi, someone, you know, someone of good standing like Jesus, should not be interacting with a fallen, immoral woman. I mean, she was just as shocked as the disciples that Jesus would intentionally come to speak to her. This woman is on the wrong side of every fence that there is. Jesus has had to cross multiple cultural barriers to come and engage with her, to come and have this interaction with her. Clearly, Jesus really does not care what anyone else thinks. He doesn't care what people outside looking in think. Why? Why does Jesus not care? Well, because he's motivated purely by love. He's motivated by love. He has compassion for this broken woman and he knows he has the answer. He knows he can offer her healing and a, a wholeness and a hope, an eternal hope that the world simply cannot offer. And he's willing to cross all the barriers to do it. He's not trying to win an argument with her in a, in a self-righteous, you know, I'm right and you're wrong kind of way. He's not trying to win an argument. He's motivated by love and compassion for her. He wants the best for her. He's not concerned about his reputation. Reaching this woman is far more important to him than any of that. And so he proactively engages with her. He, he assumes friendship with her and he offers her this living water. I mean, really, broadly speaking, there are two possible motivations for telling people about Jesus, for being a a witness to Jesus. Both are powerful motivations, but only one is enduring and good. So one possible motivation, the the not very good one, is pride. Pride. And, and, And that pride can manifest itself in all sorts of different ways. So it might be the kind of, you know, I'm right, you're wrong that kind of pride. I need to win this argument. I need to show you, you've got this wrong and I've got this right. And there's a sense of superiority that comes with that. And that's never a good way uh, to win people. If they feel they're just trying to win the argument, better try to win the person than to win the argument. But that's one way pride can show itself. Or it might be, well, you know, this stuff, doing this makes me look like a good Christian. 
You know, it shows other people I'm a real Christian. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a good Christian. Or maybe it's even this wins me points with God. If I, if I have a conversation with somebody or I pray for somebody, that wins me points with God. He's pleased with me today because I've done that. Or it might be that it gives me a good story to tell. It's all pride. Conversely, of course, pride can lead us to not tell people about Jesus. Maybe because you're worried about your reputation uh, or you're worried about being rejected or you're worried about looking foolish, you know, because you don't have the words to say or you get stumped by a question or whatever. It's all pride. It's all pride because it all comes back to self and your view of self. And really, it comes back to self-absorption. That's that's pride. So pride can can be a motive for, for, for doing this stuff, but it, it can also be a motive for not doing this stuff. But then the other motivation, the right motivation, and ultimately the most powerful motivation for telling people about Jesus, for being a faithful witness to Jesus, that motivation is love. It's, it's love. I, it's, it's, I, I want you to have what I have been so graciously given and I'm prepared to look foolish, to, to be rejected, to waste my time, to try to point you to the one who has so utterly changed my life and has given me an eternal hope. I mean, if you think about it, pointing people to Jesus, telling them the gospel is the most loving thing that you can do for them. You know, this is why in all of our social action ministries, that's the cornerstone. That's the key. We're never in this just to be nice people. It's good to be nice people, but it's never just about giving somebody a meal or or helping somebody practically. That's all part of it. But ultimately, our social action ministries are about telling people and showing people the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that is what makes the difference. That is what is going to change their lives. It's the most loving thing we can do for people. Not forgetting, of course, that how we do it is important. How we share Jesus, how we share the gospel is important. We should be sensitive towards people. You know, we're not to go around acting like some sort of uh, battering ram that, that everybody, frankly, wants to avoid. You know, bludgeoning people with the truth, firing truth bullets indiscriminately from our machine guns. I mean, that is how some people try to do it. And... All I would say is if that's your approach, um, go and do that somewhere else, all right? Or even better, learn a different way. Learn to do it with gentleness and humility, as it says in 1 Peter 3, to share the reason for the hope that you have with gentleness, with, with humility, with love for the other person, because we are called to love people. We're called to love people, but of course, ultimately, sharing Jesus, sharing the gospel in the right way, is the most loving thing we could do for someone. If we truly believe the claims of Christ and the new life he offered, well, how can we not tell people? How can we not tell the world about that? If we had discovered a cure for a, a previously incurable disease, we would seek to tell the world about that. We would want to tell the world because that would be great news. In fact, morality and love would dictate that we have to tell the world about that. But as Christians... We believe that we have something far, far better, far more foundational and eternal than a cure for one disease. I remember uh, reading an article a long time ago, and it was written by an atheist, and, and I cannot remember for the life of me who it was or where I read the article, but I just remember the thing that struck me from this article that this atheist wrote, and this is what he said. He said, I really can't consider a Christian a good moral person if he isn't trying to convert me, which might be a bit surprising at first because we tend to assume people don't 
you know, don't want us to, to, to have those kind of conversations. No, he said, I really can't consider a Christian a good moral person if he or she isn't trying to convert me. And of course, what he means is if you really genuinely believe the claims of the gospel, if you're convinced that you know the truth and, it's, and, and the nature of that truth as it's described in the gospels, and you're not trying to convert me, well, then either you don't love me or you don't actually believe what you say you believe. So the question for us is, you know, are you more motivated by love or by pride? Because if we're purely motivated, if we're only motivated or more motivated by pride, then we will stop pursuing the missional practice of bless. We won't carry this on, either because pride is leading us to not pursue it in the first place, uh, or because you get a hostile reaction to your sense of superiority, or you go a few weeks without a good story to tell, and so you give up. But love endures, and love persists. If you're motivated by love, well, then you're in it for the long haul. You're, you're committed to those people in your life, regardless of their response. You just want them to have what you have been given because you love them with the supernatural love of God and you want the best for them. And so you continue to bless them week after week, month after month, year after year, you continue to bless them. Now, if we're honest, we probably all have mixed motives. I mean, I certainly find it very, very easy to take any situation and turn it to thinking about how it affects me, you know, how it makes me look and, and, and kind of letting pride and egotism rear their ugly heads. So the question is, how do we shift the balance? If we all have mixed motivations of pride, love, there's a bit of pride here, there's a bit of love here. How do we shift the balance of our motivations more towards love? How do we shift our motivations to pursue love, to pursue being motivated by love rather than pride? Well, we can only do that by continuing to be filled with the love of God for ourselves. You know, as I said earlier, that our witness comes out of that overflow. Evangelism comes out of the overflow that we have, that, that sense of wonder and amazement and awe at what Jesus has done for a sinner like me that he would rescue someone like me. You know, how is Jesus able to offer this living water to people who don't deserve it? The woman's testimony was that he knows everything about me, even the worst bits, he knows everything about me, but still, in spite of that, he offers me this living water, this water that will quench her thirst and will satisfy the longings of her soul that she's been seeking to fulfill in men, in relationships, in, in sex, in, in whatever else. Jesus sees you at your worst. He sees me at my very, very worst. Jesus knows the darkest and most depraved thoughts of my mind, but he still offers me this living water. How? How can he do that? Well, it's because on the cross, he said, I thirst. I thirst. Jesus willingly experienced, he willingly took upon himself that unquenchable thirst that we have so that in exchange, we could receive the living water that truly satisfies. He experienced separation from God so that we could be reconciled to God forever. This is this beautiful uh, divine exchange that took place on the cross. He took everything that our lives deserve and he gave us everything that his life deserves. Jesus gives us this living water at great cost to himself, but he gives us this living water freely and purely by his grace. 
It's just his grace. You've done nothing to earn it. It's just his grace. And when we get that truth deep down into us, that shapes our whole identity. It shapes all of our motivations and it does away with pride because there's no room for pride at the cross. There's no room for, for saying, look at what I, ha- I have done. No, it's all about, look at what he has done. Our salvation is not achieved, it is received. It is purely God's grace. It is a gift, a wonderful gift given in spite of my record. There's no room for pride here. So we've got to keep coming back to that truth. Let it fill us. Let it amaze us all over again and never get tired of it. Do you find how easily you can get, you can kind of take it for granted? How easily you can get used to this truth? Oh, Lord, may we never get used to this truth. Let us be a people who are filled with amazement and wonder at the truth of the gospel, at the truth of what Jesus done, and be a people who just want to share this amazing news with the world because we are so filled with that love that God has given us. And just like this Samaritan woman who encountered the love of Jesus and she could say, he saw me at my very worst and he loved me. He gave me everything. You've got to meet him. Come and see this man. Let's be like that. Now we are called to make disciples. It's very clear. It's, you know, the, the command of Jesus in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. It's a clear call to make disciples for all of us. Well, that means for us, that means being faithful, courageous witnesses to Jesus who are motivated by love, motivated by love for the people in our lives and those who are not yet in our lives who don't yet know Jesus. And and Jesus is clear in John chapter four. He says, the harvest is now. It's not some future time. Don't look to some future time. The harvest is now. The fields are ripe for harvest now. There are people all around us in High Wycombe, in, in, our, in our context, in our worlds. There are people all around us who God is already drawing to himself. You know, he's not asking us to go and uh, flog some product to people that nobody wants. No, there are people who are ready to hear about Jesus right now because God, his Holy Spirit is already working on them. He's already drawing them to himself. Our job is to find them and then point them in the right direction. And in some cases, to lead them by the hand right up to Jesus, to lead them over the line into faith, and of course, to go on discipling them beyond that as well. But just imagine this, just dream for a minute, right? What if just one person from each of our blessed lists came to faith over the next year? Each of them representing another 10 or so people who they then start to bless as well. I mean, that is kingdom multiplication that we're talking about. If one person from our lists comes to faith, we double in size as a church. And then those people are also then intentionally pursuing and reaching people for Jesus. That is kingdom multiplication. That's what we want. That's what we want to see. That is reaching thousands, as we talk about in our vision statement. You know, a diverse church of thousands that surrounds and saturates High Wycombe with the love of Jesus. I mean, that is seeing the fulfillment of what God has said to us many times over the years, where he says, I have many people in this place. I have many people in this place. That is seeing that fulfilled. I mean, we would need a new building (laughs) or, um, you know, we'd have to get very creative about how we do church to cope with that sort of growth. But I say, bring it on. Bring it on. 
give us that problem. But just imagine the number of baptism meetings that we would need to have with multiple baptisms in each. Each person there, each baptizee there, because someone took the mission seriously. Someone took a courageous step of faith and made the invitation. The invitation. Each one there who represent another 10 people who are in the building or they're watching online, watching people get baptized, hearing the gospel, seeing life transformation. I mean, that's the kind of thing I want to give my life to. That's why I'm in church leadership. That's what I want to see. But of course, it's not enough to just want it or dream about it. We've got to do it. We've got to get out there and do it. So I would encourage every single one of us who is, who is part of this church and who is a follower of Jesus, let's examine our hearts. Let's examine our priorities and our motivations and let's invite God to fill us with his love and his power and to commission us again as his witnesses. And let's be obedient to the call to go and make disciples. Let us go and bless those around us and see God's kingdom come.